you might have. All right, lots going on. Excited about the things taking place here at Calvary Chapel, which includes this morning. We started a new Bible study. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Daniel. We'll start Daniel this morning. So you have the books of the prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then the book of Daniel. And then the minor prophets take you all the way to Malachi. So the book of Daniel will be in Daniel for the next few months. We'll start in chapter 1, reading it at verse 1. All right, are you there? Okay. We do read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, little G. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Asphenaz, uh, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So Father is... We come this morning to open up this book. I pray that as we look at the background, as we talk about some history, there's not only the the present implications that we're going to be looking at, but Lord, what is the, the, the application for us today? Lord, I pray that our hearts right now would be settled to hear from you. And Lord, that we would desire to learn, to be touched by your word. I pray that we would be free from distractions and a people that are teachable right now. So bless this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As I've told you that the book of Daniel by many is called the most fascinating book in all of the Bible. And the reason is, is because we're going to be looking at the prophecies of Daniel. Many of those prophecies that we'll be looking at is going to give very specific, minute details of what's going to take place in the latter days leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as we also know that Daniel, we're going to see that he is a godly man committed to the Lord. And before we talk about where we are headed, we need to understand where we have been. That is, this background that I want to give to you, that in the verses that we read, what led to the captivity of Judah... Some of you, you're new to Old Testament study, and you're not very familiar with this. Some of you, you're new to studying the scriptures. As you come to Calvary, we've had so much feedback of we're really learning, and there's so much that is there. Now, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in a couple weeks, that I'm going to finish Malachi. That's the second time that I've taken the congregation through the Old Testament, through all the books of the Bible. And We started in Genesis for the second time going through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights in our Wednesday night uh, services and online studies that on in Genesis 16 years ago. And now we're going to finish the Old Testament. But those of you who have joined us for those studies, you're familiar with a lot what we're going to talk about. 
And I don't want to give the background to where we're at here historically in chapter 1 to bore you with a lot of names and dates, but I think it's important that we understand why the uh, house of Judah went off into captivity. Now, a very easy outline to remember chronologically the timeline of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord calls Abraham to become the father of a great nation. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. He says that your descendants are going to be many as the sands of the sea, on the seashores, the stars in the heaven. And Abraham, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. So that covenant there, 2000 BC, given to Abraham, as you travel through the book of Genesis, would pass to Isaac, and then it would go to Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons who are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, then you have in 1500 BC, you have Moses as the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, uh, went into uh, Egypt, and they ended up being there for 400 years. So in 1500 B.C., Moses is called to bring the children of Israel out into the wilderness. They're supposed to go to the promised land. That wouldn't happen until Joshua comes on the scene. But as they're out in the wilderness, they, re they really are established as a nation, as, as God's people, in that the tabernacle is constructed, the sacrifices are given to them, the, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood is established, the feasts, the festivals, the moral law. And God had made a covenant with them there at Mount Sinai. And he said, if you follow after me, then I will bless you. I'll bring you into the promised land, and I'll protect you from your enemies, defeat them. I'll bless the land. I'll bless you. But if you forsake me, then there's going to be the curses that are pronounced against them, and you're going to eventually go off into captivity. So that's 1500 B.C. Joshua brings them into the promised land. And as you read the historical books of, of Israel, 1000 B.C., David comes on the scene. David, the great warrior. He's the greatest king that Israel ever had, and he had a heart for God. He, defend, he defeats the enemies around him, and David brought unity in the nation. He reigns for 40 years. After the reign of David comes Solomon. Solomon, who built the first temple. Solomon's ruling during Israel's greatest peace and greatest power and prosperity, great wealth. He builds the first temple. You read about that in 1 Kings and also in 2 Chronicles. A magnificent building overlaid with gold. And after the reign of Solomon, he reigned for 40 years. Rehoboam's on the throne. And the, during his reign, the ten northern tribes break away from the house of Judah. That is the nation split. The ten northern nations known as the house of Israel. And then in the south, Judah, uh, the house of Judah known, uh, that contained the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin and Jerusalem where the temple was. Well, the house of Israel, they had 19 kings that ruled over them before they were taken off into captivity. The house of Israel was plunged deep into idol worship. Every single one of those kings were ungodly. They were idol worshipers. And what happened, it went from bad to worse. And you read about that again in those historical books of First and Second Kings. Well, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians are the powerhouse of that 
the known world there. And, and they come into the ten northern tribes, and they take the ten northern tribes off into captivity. Matter of fact, what the Assyrians did is they took them off, and, and they left some of the people there. They would then send their own people into Israel. They would intermarry with uh, those of uh, the house of Israel. Uh, they would bring in their p- pagan beliefs. And the offspring of them are known as the Samaritans that you read about in the Gospels. But that's a study for another time. And the Assyrians were brutal. Uh, they were powerful. They would torture people. Uh, they were ones that put fish hooks in your mouths and they would drag you off. So that's the ten northern tribes that are taken off in 722 B.C. They continue their conquest. They come to Jerusalem in about 705 B.C. They're ready to take the, the house of Judah off into captivity. And there is Shennacherib, the king of the Assyrians. And he hurls threats against Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. He was a godly king. And it was Shennacherib that told him that we're going to destroy you. You, you might as well surrender. And Hezekiah took those threats that were written down by Shennacherib. He went into the house of the Lord. And him and the leadership, they prayed and they fasted. Well, this angel comes along and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. That's a mighty angel, isn't it? So the Assyrians, they continue to be the the world-dominating power and them in Egypt going back and forth in Ethiopia. Again, as you, you look at the history, but the Assyrians began to decline in power. And there's a little empire in the meantime that begins to rise to power And that is an empire called Babylon. And we know that as they would take the children of Israel off into the house of Judah into captivity. But here's the thing. As Israel was taken off into captivity because the Lord bringing the prophets to them said that come and follow me. Forsake your idols. If not, you're going to go off into captivity because he had made that covenant with them at Mount Sinai. And they refused to do it. The house of Judah did a little bit better, the kings, but they were still plagued with idol worship. Some of the kings were very bad kings, such as Ahaz at the time of Isaiah, as you read about him. But then they also had a king that ruled. His name was Manasseh. Manasseh was awful, and he ruled longer than any other king of Judah. He ruled for 55 years, and he plunged the house of Judah deep, deep into idol worship, He plunged them deep into uh, occultic kinds of practices. It brought in idols into the house of the Lord. It was so bad that they were burning their own children, sacrificing their own children on the arms of Moloch there in the Gehenna Valley. That's how bad it was. So the Lord said, because of the sins of Manasseh, you're going to go off into captivity. And, And that's what leads us to what we were reading about here. But before that happened, the grandson of of Manasseh, he comes to the throne, about 60, 40 B.C. He was the last of the godly kings. And as he comes at a young age, we do know, and as you read in 2 Kings chapter 22, that in the 18th year of his reign, he repaired the temple. He's cleaning it up. He's repairing Solomon's temple. The high priest Hilkiah found a copy of the scriptures And they read it to the king, to Josiah. And Josiah, his heart was quickened so much that he tears his clothes and he says, so wonder that we're going through the problems that we're going through because we have forsaken the Lord. And it was at that time that Jeremiah begins his ministry. 
And Josiah begins these spiritual reforms. What he does is he took away the idol worship. He brought back temple worship, destroyed the false places of worship. And as Jeremiah was ministering to the people, that was taking place. And Jeremiah's ministry lasted for about 40 years until the final assault on Jerusalem in 586 B.C. But here's the thing. Josiah, as he brought the spiritual reforms to the land, it wasn't real revival. Because after the death of Josiah in 609 B.C., what he did was this. He goes up to the Valley of Jezreel to try to interfere and stop uh, Necho, the, the king of Egypt, from passing through. He's going to do battle with the Assyrians. And, and the king of Egypt said, mind your own business, Josiah. We're just passing through. But he didn't listen. So he goes up to the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Megiddo, which we're going to talk about has future implications as we get you know, into the prophecies of Daniel. But he's killed by Necho, king of Egypt. And then as the last four kings come on the scene, they were terrible kings. After Josiah is killed, his son Jehoahaz comes to the throne. But he's only on the throne for about three months. And, and the king of Egypt said, we're going to take you away. We're going to take you away captive. And then his brother, Josiah's other son, comes to the throne in his name. It's Jehoiakim, the one that we're reading about. And he rules for about 11 years. And during this time, as we read, that that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in in Babylon and begins the 70 years of captivity, which it was Jeremiah that said would take place. So 605 B.C., the first assault on Jerusalem. The 70 years of captivity begins and we continue to 536 B.C. until Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, makes the decree that they could go back. And we'll talk more specifically about that. But here we see that Daniel, along with his friends, are taken back captive as well as some of the gold and the silver that was in the house of the Lord, the treasuries there, taken back to Babylon to be put into the pagan temple that, that Nebuchadnezzar had there. And even though, going back to Josiah, as I mentioned to you, that there was those spiritual reforms that, that took place, and even as Jeremiah as he would say to the people uh, in chapter 3, that Judah, you have not turned to me with your whole heart, but in pretense. They acknowledged the reforms, but their hearts, for the most part, were not changed towards the Lord. Because what happened when Josiah died, they went right back into idol worship. But as we look at Daniel, we know that Daniel's parents apparently were influenced and raised Daniel in a very godly way. And we're going to see the person of Daniel in the first six chapters, as I said. And then we're going to see the prophecies of Daniel. And these two combinations make this book such a tremendous blessing to study. And what we're going to see is that Daniel, along with his friends here that are mentioned, particularly in the first three chapters, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they're going to give them Babylonian names, you might remember them, his three friends, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what we're going to see is real conviction and devotion and courage and boldness and standing up to the world system and standing up to Babylon and standing for the Lord. They're going to be blessed by the Lord. I think about Daniel as we go through this book. It's going to be told to us 
that he had an excellent spirit within him. It reminds me of Joseph in the book of Genesis, the son of Jacob, that he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold to slavery in Egypt. He stands before Pharaoh to interpret a dream. And Pharaoh says that there's no one here like you that has the spirit of God in him like you do, Joseph. And the spirit of God that was recognized in Joseph and the excellent spirit that was recognized in Daniel is the Holy Spirit of God that is in you and I. And the Lord desires for us to be strengthened and to be encouraged, for us to have real conviction and devotion and courage and boldness for him as well. You see, when Daniel was taken off into captivity, scholars tell us that he was anywhere from 14 years of age to 17 years of age. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he's just a teenager. He's taken off into captivity, showing great maturity and devotion to God in a very difficult situation. Joseph, when he was taken off to Egypt, it is believed that he was only maybe about 16, 17 years of age. A couple months ago, we read about Mary at the Christmas account, right? When the angel there in Luke's gospel came and told Mary, that Mary, you're blessed among women, and you're going to be carrying the Christ child. She was only about 16 years of age. I think about John, the disciple of Jesus, that scholars say that he was the youngest that was called to follow after the Lord. And it is believed that John, he was only about 16 years of age when the Lord called him and said, come follow me. And it was John that lived that long life. And at the end of his life, he would be exiled to the island of Patmos where he would receive the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation. I want to encourage all the young people that are here that God wants to use you And God desires for you to stand against Babylon that is coming for you. And I pray and I hope that you would be encouraged in this study to know that the same spirit that was in Daniel and in Joseph and in Mary and in John, the disciple, is the same spirit that is working in you. And God wants to use you where you're at and for you to live for him in the days in which we are living in. But whatever age you are, if you're older, God wants to use you. It's not too late. He desires for you to walk closely with him and to be used of him. I think about Moses. He was 80 years old when God called him to ministry. I think about Caleb in the book of Joshua. He's 85 years old, and he said to Joshua, I want that mountain as my inheritance. I want to go after those giants, and he did. So God wants to use you in the day in which we are living in. So Daniel here, as we read his book... Again, the person of Daniel, the prophecies of Daniel. And because of that, there are those who will come on the scene, the the skeptics of the Bible, and they will say there's no way that Daniel wrote this book because he's going to give prophecies that are telling of world powers that will come on the scene from the time of Daniel to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they are so precise, and we will get into it, that they say that there's no way that Daniel could have prophesied these things. There's no way that he could have predicted these things. So there was two Daniels, the Daniel in captivity and then another Daniel that came along and wrote much of the book of Daniel in the first century. Well, I don't want to get into all the arguments, but we can be assured that Daniel wrote this book who was in captivity and Jesus put his stamp of approval on Daniel. Remember in the Olivet Discourse that Jesus said concerning the tribulation period, he said, 
when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Daniel the definite article, not Daniel's, or he didn't give any indication there's two Daniels. He said Daniel the prophet. He proved Daniel as being a prophet who wrote the prophecies. We will see the, one of the most amazing prophecies concerns the abomination of desolation or Daniel's 70th week in chapter 9. So if I'm going to believe somebody who says that they're an expert or a scholar and they're skeptical about the, the scriptures or Jesus, I'm going to believe Jesus. So we can be sure that Daniel wrote this and as we see going through this, not only amazing prophecies, the person of Daniel, but we're also going to read a lot about this king here that we see that came in, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He comes into Jerusalem, again in 605 B.C., in the first assault on Jerusalem. His armies had been pursuing the Egyptians down in the Sinai in a very famous battle called the Battle of Sharshemes. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is there. His father dies. So he has to get back to Babylon to secure the throne. So on his way back, he's in a hurry. He's traveling fast, and he stops in Jerusalem, and that's where we read that he takes the choice man of Judah to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government, and he takes some of the articles of the house of God, and he carried it to his pagan temple there in Babylon. And as we read in verse 2, notice that and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now Jehoiakim, he was a terrible king. Again, Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, he comes to the throne for three months. They bound him up, took him to Egypt. And they made Jehoiakim, Josiah's other son, the king. He was a very carnal king. He hated the word of God. In Jeremiah chapter 36, Jeremiah, the prophet, he, he would send a scroll to the king, the, the word of God, a prophecy to, to give to him. And Jehoiakim, as it's being read to him, takes out his pocket knife and he chops it up and he throws it in the fire like he could chop up the word of God. There are people today that try to dismiss the word of God, but we know that Isaiah would declare that the grass, that it fades and the flower withers but the word of God will stand forever. And so Jeremiah is told, make another copy. He put a little addendum on it. And he was told the king, Jehoiakim, that Babylon's going to come in. It's going to seize Jerusalem. And by the way, you're done for, king. Matter of fact, in the prophecies given to him in Jeremiah chapter 22, it was told that Jehoiakim, what's going to happen is you're going to be killed and your body's going to be thrown over the wall of Jerusalem, and you're going to have the funeral of a donkey. The people are not going to lament for you. Rabbinical literature describes Jehoiakim as a very godless man who was very immoral. He murdered innocent men, including Uriah, the prophet that we see in Jeremiah chapter 26. He ripped the people off. He was building his own palace. And for the first four years that Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem, 605 B.C., to about 600 B.C., Jehoiakim is paying taxes and tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, all of a sudden, he decides that he's going to switch his allegiance back to Egypt, and Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem in this second assault on Jerusalem, 597 B.C. And as you read about Jehoiakim, you can write it down, references 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 5 through 7. We read that Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem, and he takes Jehoiakim, and he bound them up, 
and was going to carry him off to captivity. We know that Jeremiah prophesied he'd be killed in Jerusalem and thrown over the wall. So which is it? Again, you have the skeptics that come along and say, well, the Bible's not true because Second Chronicles says he was going to be carried off to Babylon, but yet Jeremiah prophesied that he would be killed in Jerusalem. Well, this is what happened historically. As Nebuchadnezzar comes in in 597 B.C., it was believed that perhaps he was going to go ahead and destroy Jerusalem at that time. So those Jews who were loyal to Nebuchadnezzar said, we will take care of this. They killed Jehoiakim, threw him over the wall, and, and um, left him there. So that would keep Nebuchadnezzar from destroying Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar then takes a majority of the population off to captivity in Babylon. One of those who were taken off into captivity in the second assault was a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. So you have Daniel that is there in the palace of Babylon. You have Ezekiel. As you read all those chapters of Ezekiel, the incredible prophecies of Ezekiel in Babylon. You have Jeremiah that's in Jerusalem, and he's ministering during that time. And Zedekiah is then placed as the last king of Judah. He reigns for 11 years. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in the third and final time in 586 B.C., levels Jerusalem, destroys Jerusalem, and destroys Solomon's temple. Keep that in mind as we go through the prophecies of Daniel. So you got that all down? I don't mean to, to bore you with a lot of history, but it's important for us to understand that this is when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, the captivity beginning in 605 B.C. And as he gave Jehoiakim to uh, his hand, with some of the articles of the house of God, he carried into the land of Shinar in the house of his God, brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. But then he took some of the choice men. The, the king instructed as Penaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So they're going to be trained in the literature, in the language, in the culture of the Chaldeans. But I want to say this. The real treasure wasn't the gold and silver. The real treasure were these young men. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that. He knew that if he could influence them, and he's going to not just educate them, but he's going to indoctrinate them in the culture, the literature, the language, the beliefs of the Chaldeans, he knows that if he can do that with the young people, that it's going to go a long ways in influencing the Jewish people and taking them away from their, their beliefs and in their in legacy, leaving a legacy, a godly legacy, inheritance, their culture, everything that they believe and stood on. And even though they were plagued with idol worship, the Lord was still going to work and that he was going to be faithful to his people but Nebuchadnezzar knew that the real treasure, listen, was these young guys. To not just indoctrinate them, or educate them, but to indoctrinate them. With the affairs and the culture and the, and the language and literature and the beliefs of the Chaldeans, or that is Babylon. You know, Satan knows that. He knows that if he can get a foothold, if he can influence our young people, that it will go a long ways in getting a foothold in our nation. You know the sayings that the things that are being taught to our young people today 
is what's going to be practiced in the next generation. And I don't need to tell you that we see in every aspect of our nation the political system, when it comes to government, when it comes to Hollywood, when it comes to our learning institutions. And I do want to say this. I am very grateful for you. We have a number of teachers that are teaching in the schools, that you're teaching in the universities, that you're teaching in the colleges, and I am very grateful for you. And I know that it's very, very difficult right now, but you stay true to standing for the Lord, and you be a light to those kids. But we are seeing that Babylon's coming after our kids and wanting to take them away from a godly legacy and inheritance and what we have taught them, what we are teaching them here, what you are teaching them. And Satan is having a heyday. And one of the things that has really broken my heart over the years is seeing kids that were raised in godly homes and came here that were learning the word of God and now they're walking away from their faith. Because Babylon has come along and taken them away and pulled them away from what is truth. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because you see the book of Daniel starts before chapter 1. It started with parents that raised Daniel and his three friends. Their parents raised them in a godly way. And we're going to see as we continue next time that Babylon comes along and changes their names to Babylonian names but could not change their hearts. Parents, may we be ones praying for our kids. May we be ones asking God help us to raise our children in the admonition, in the training and admonition in the ways of the Lord. To be praying for them, to be praying with them. Dads, take your kids for a walk. You tell them how much the Lord means to you. That you make sure that you are praying for them and speaking the truth of God's word, that your home is a sanctuary. And as I think about Daniel here, look, look, Daniel, he's a teenager. He's taken away from his parents, never to see them again, probably, his siblings. He's taken away from Jerusalem. He's taken away from the, his, you know, the house of the Lord. He's taken to Babylon. He's going to work and be standing there in front of the most powerful man on the face of the earth that chops people up in little pieces. And throws them in a burning, fiery furnace. He's going to see empires come and go. And Daniel stands firm through all of it. To where at the end of his life, he's thrown into the lion's den. And I think, how was he able to do that? Well, we're going to talk more specifically about it next week. So you have to come back. But I think most of you know. He had a heart for the Lord. And he was blessed by the Lord. So parents and grandparents, we know that Babylon is coming after our young people. It's coming after all of us and pulling them away to where they're in captivity and in bondage. And I want to say to you who are young, live for the Lord, but have a heart for the Lord. He loves you so much and he has a wonderful future for you. When they went off into captivity, Jeremiah wrote them a letter. They thought that God had forgotten about them. And Jeremiah says, the Lord says this to you, that I know my thoughts toward you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. They give you a future and a hope. 
and to know that the Lord is your future and he is your hope. The world's going to lead you into bondage. And here is Daniel, just a teenager. He stands firm for the Lord. And it started with godly parents that taught him the things of the Lord. Parents, you know this. That as we see the things going on around us, and it's concerning that we know that God is on the throne. We look this week, and maybe by the time we come back next week, there's going to be a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. We see that and, and pray for the people of Ukraine. There's, there's a number of Christians that are there. Matter of fact, when I do Calvary Live, consistently there's somebody that's listening from Ukraine on the radio. That the Middle East is in upheaval. We see how our nation is, is declining morally and spiritually and the economic upheaval. There's a distress of nation with perplexity, lawlessness that's going to abound, that Jesus said. It's going to be perilous times. And parents, we can't just say, well, I hope my kids do okay. And those of us who have kids, even as they're adults, my kids are, are young, and I pray for them, and I think, how hard is it going to be for them to minister in the days in which we are in if the Lord tarries in 10 years and 20 years because things are changing so quickly? I think about my grandchild. It's going to come on the scene. And ever since that we heard that we were expecting a grandchild, we've been praying for her. We cannot just say, oh, I hope they do okay. You better do more than hope. Because Babylon is coming for them. And wants to pull them away from the truth of the word of God and having a love for God. And may they see it in us. May they see mom and dads and grandparents, but whoever you are, whatever state you're in, the people that are linked to you, that you have a love for God. That you can share with them what the Lord means to you and what he's done for you. You pray over them. You pray with them. And you keep encouraging them in the ways of the Lord and in the truth of the Lord, because you have two things that the world cannot give them, and that is God's word and God's love. And we're going to come alongside you, and we're going to encourage you in that. And we're going to be committed to teaching your children while they're here the word of God at their level. And you can be involved in that, because they are the treasure. The previous two services, there was kids running around everywhere. I loved it. But yet my heart breaks for them. Because I know Babylon's coming for them. The Lord wants to make sure that we understand this. That our homes are be a place where we stand for the Lord. And the things of the Lord are spoken that the praises of God are sung and there's thanksgiving that are ex expressed. And I pray that we would encourage one another because we are rushing towards the return of the Lord. And he's on the throne and he's the one that's going to establish his kingdom. 
So as we come back next week and in the weeks ahead, we're going to see how Daniel, the person of Daniel, this young teenager, all through his reign, he's going to last clear until where the Medo-Persian Empire takes over. He lasted and stood firm for the Lord. And that's my prayer for you and for your kids, for our grandkids, for all of us in the days in which we're living. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much. There's a lot of information, but, Lord, what's important is the application for us and stand firm for you. And I do pray that this morning as we open up this book, we know that we do live in perilous times. but you are on the throne. And you're the one that's in control. You know the end from the beginning, as Isaiah declares, and we know that your kingdom is coming. You have a promise to come for your church, the blessed hope. But in the meantime, we know that Babylon has influence with our kids, with our young people, so help us to live godly lives. As parents and grandparents, to walk in the fear of the Lord, to reverence you, to look to you. That you would, Lord, keep our kids close to you and draw them to you. And I know that there are some here that maybe your kids are prodigal. They've been pulled into the world. But we pray, Lord, bring them home to you. Just as Jesus told of the prodigal son that came home and the father embraced him. Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon us and our families in the days in which we're living in and that we would stand firm for you. And the excellent spirit that was in Daniel is in us to give us the power to live for you and the wisdom and the courage and the boldness and devotion. Father, I want to pray if there's anyone that's here in this place or listening that you haven't given your heart to Jesus Christ, that he is the one that came and died for your sins. He is your Savior. He is the Savior of the world make an atonement for you on the cross of Calvary because we're all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. And so the Bible says to turn to him, to repent and, and call out to Jesus who cried out from that cross, it is finished. It was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. He is your salvation. He is your forgiveness and brings you into right relationship with the Father. And whoever believes in their heart the Lord Jesus and confesses with their mouth that God raised them from the dead shall be saved. Will you come to him? That's the invitation. Today is the day of salvation because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Will you come? If that means anything to anyone, you can pray sincerely right where you are, where you're at, that Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. I believe you're the Son of God who died for me. And you rose again. And I now come to you because you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for saving me, forgiving me. Thank you for this new relationship that I have 
with the Father that comes through you. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. For all of us, may we have, Lord, just that heart to minister to our kids, our grandkids, to the people around us. Lord, I pray you give us the wisdom we need and the strength that we need in every way. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand?